Let's turn now, friends, as the Lord would enable us, to the second portion we read, book of Genesis, and in uh, chapter 3. What a brilliant title God gave this first book of the Bible. Genesis means the beginning. And here we find the beginning of so many significant and important things. We find the beginning of life. We find the beginning of humanity. We find the beginning of history. We find the beginning of sin. We find the beginning of salvation. And we also discover in the opening uh, chapters of the book of Genesis what has become known as creation ordinances. These are principles for life and living. And there are four in particular. And these are marriage, procreation, the ability to have children, Sabbath, and a work ethic. And these four creation ordinances, they provide a framework for a progression of humanity in every age. And we also see clearly in the book of Genesis, and in its early chapters in particular, uh, who God is. We see a glorious demonstration of a God who is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, the creator, the sustainer, the ruler, and the judge of men and of angels. In other words, the God to whom you and I must give account. Now, in comparison to that glorious God, we are but finite creatures, real creatures, sinful creatures. And every human being depends upon this God for the breath in our nostrils, for the clothes on our back, and for the food on our table. We are wholly dependent upon God for all of that, whether we admit that or otherwise. Now, Genesis also teaches us that by his sin, Adam made all of us rebels. I don't know what you think of yourself, but this is what the Bible says you are and me with you. We are rebels in the eyes of God. It's just a question of how much of a rebel are you? And how much of a rebel am I? Left to our own devices, we would be, my friends, on a downward trajectory. On a downward trajectory. So the gospel of redeeming grace is all about God coming to the rescue of rebels. Just like you. Just like me. But for our purpose here this Sabbath morning, our sermon is going to focus on the implication of two phrases which we will find in the verses we read. The first phrase is in verse 1. 
the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And especially those words, serpent was more subtle. And the second phrase is in the third verse. The phrase, ye shall be as gods. And we'll be laying particular emphasis on that phrase. But what's implied by both phrases constantly appears in human history throughout all the ages. However, there's reason to believe that certain events over recent times show evidence of this like never before. Anti-God conduct in particular areas of life and living has now escalated to degrees never before seen in human history. Now, as always, our best answer to these things is, of course, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that gospel offers hope as Satan plays the Pied Piper to an evil generation bent on destroying all that God calls good, decent, right, sane, and sensible. It's almost impossible not to see the madness of the new world that is being created in our day and generation, being created right under our noses. Now, it has to be said that in every generation, there's always been a fringe element of people, people who lived counter to decent culture. They've always been there. People who have rejected God's word, God's laws, and indeed God himself. They've always been there on the fringes of history. Our problem today, my friends, is they're no longer on the fringes. They've become mainstream. They've become mainstream. And their agenda it is, is to destroy every component of morality taught in the Judeo-Christian scriptures. Nowadays, you will find these people in the highest echelons of government. They have hijacked almost every aspect of our education system. They have turned our judiciary upside down. They rule the roost in every area of media. And they even dictate to corporate business how they should advertise. Their power, their influence has become both enormous and frightening. So a moral, spiritual, and social revolution has taken place throughout the Western world with scarcely a word of protest. With scarcely a word of protest. That in particular is what I find frightening. 
scarcely a voice raised in protest. Not in the world, certainly, but sadly, not even in the church. Now, behind all of this is the orchestrating hand of the one who said at the beginning of history, you shall be as gods. And the weakening of the Christian West on the world stage has led to major political turmoil and to the serious decline on the influence of Christianity. I don't think even the church, even Christian people, really fully appreciate the influence that Christianity has had on this world and the stability of this world. I don't think we appreciate it. But we'll soon begin to appreciate it because of the disappearing influence of Christianity and what's beginning to replace it. And that's why the world desperately needs a global revival of true religion. Nothing else is going to deliver us, my friends. Nothing else can turn this evil tide around. It has to be a global revival of true religion. That's always been the barrier, the best barrier against evil practices. So let's look first of all then this morning at humanity's arch enemy. Verse 1. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now since Satan was expelled from heaven, his hatred for God knows no bounds. He demonstrated this clearly, of course, at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And it must have been music to his ears to hear not just people, but God's chosen people clamoring, crucify him, crucify him. It must have been music to his ears. However, it's always been his intention. If he cannot hurt God, he must destroy everything that belongs to God. And over the centuries, he has done untold damage in all the nations of the earth in this regard. Now, he seldom attacks the animal kingdom, whereas he hates all humanity with a vehemence. Why? Because men and women and boys and girls are created in the image of God. That's why. We reflect to him something of the character of God. Even the worst amongst us, the very definition of being a human being is that we have been created in the image of God. And he takes particular delight when people who have been created in the image of God, when they maim and hate and kill each other. He takes delight in all of that. He lauds and applauds situations of war and violence and mayhem. And he is an expert 
are provoking confrontation and hostility. However, his prime target is always Christian people and anybody sympathetic to the Christian worldview. Now, I want you to notice once again the description of him here in verse 1. More subtle than any beast of the field. When this enemy of God and men, when he comes in his temptations, he seldom, seldom comes ringing bells or blowing trumpets. He is a master of disguise, and this is indicated to us by a profound phrase in the New Testament, where we are reminded in 2 Corinthians 11 that he can come as an angel of light. As an angel of light. This is Satan. This is the evil one. This is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. And he can come amongst us as a ninja of light. And that's why few of the people, this applies particularly to Christian people, but it applies to others as well. Few of the people that he attempts into sin, they ever realize that he's present. They ever realize, very few ever realize that he is near to them. They never realize his influence on their minds. Look at the examples we have in the Bible of this. David, Jonah, Peter, and many others. But when you think about these three men, because their stories are familiar to us, they never realized that Satan was enticing them into sin situations. They never saw it coming. And he also has the ability to quickly identify those who can lead entire nations into war. Now, that's always been to some degree or other part of world history. Satan's footprint and indeed his fingerprint they are written large over the darkest days of our history. However, for whatever reason, things have changed over recent times. Satan, it seems to me, has stepped up his assault on humanity. And that began, as I said, recently, and it began quickly. Now, some suggest to us it's a fulfillment of Revelation 20, verse 7. Uh, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Well, I'm not sure about that. But certainly, the insanity of our day and generation indicates it. I don't know how else I can describe the conduct of politicians, governments, nations, and generation a generation of people. I don't know how else to describe it. It's insane. Lethal damage has been inflicted on the core values of Western civilization and culture and even democracy. I don't know about you, my friends, 
But I'm sometimes afraid to switch on the news these days. I'm afraid to switch it on. So for us who have a high regard for the things of God, who believe in God ruling this world, who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the savior of his own people, we have to keep focused in all of this. As these dark clouds gather around us more and more, we have to keep focused and keep focused on particular things. For example, we have to keep focused on the teaching of the Bible. And on this in particular, the truth as it is in Jesus. The truth as it is in Jesus. Now, what that truth tells us, my friends, is this. That whatever is happening amongst our peers and in our generation, we must remember that God reigns supreme over this world. Always refer to that picture in the prophecy of Isaiah of God doing what? Sitting on the circle of the earth. In other words, his throne is over all the nations of the earth. That's the God that we have to believe in. That's the God that is presented to us in the truth of the scriptures. Another truth we have to remember is that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord over all things, which he will demonstrate ultimately when every knee will bow before him, when every tongue will confess his name. He is Lord. And we have to keep focused on that reality, my friends. A third truth we have to keep focused on in these dark days is that Satan, powerful as he is, influential as he is, destructive as he is, he is nevertheless a defeated enemy of God. And it is only a matter of time when he will be cast into the pit to which he belongs. Remember all that, my friends, as our world continues to spread spiral out of control. So our refuge is in God. Our refuge is in his word, in his truth, in his laws, and in his gospel. Let me move on to look at the fulfilling of Satan's promise here in verse 5. You shall be as gods. <clears throat> now for centuries and for millennia, it was assumed that this was referring to the following words in verse 5, knowing good and evil. Satan is suggesting here to Adam and Eve that they could be like God, all-knowing, omniscient, and every subject under the sun, they can be like the God who created them. Now, we know that some people believe this, in fact, this is one of the tenets of Mormonism. They believe this promise of Satan, that they can be like gods. Listen to these words. They are taken from the protocols of Mormonism. 
mortals themselves may become gods and goddesses in the afterlife. That's nothing but taking up the promise of Satan here in verse 5. In other words, humans can evolve to become divine beings. However, Satan, I believe, has been underestimated in all of this. Recent developments in human conduct and behavior indicate a far more sinister agenda than the Mormons pie in the sky. Now, these words of verse 5, the words of Satan, I don't think they've ever been as applicable as they are in modern times. And we should notice that this has developed at a time when the Western world in particular has been more ignorant of the Bible and the Bible's teaching than since the days of the Reformation. If you were to take a survey from John O'Groats to Land's End, I think you would be astonished at the level and degree of ignorance amongst men and women, boys and girls too, regarding the teaching of the Bible. And that's why Satan has stepped up his attack on humanity. He's playing on the ignorance of our fellow citizens as he assaults us from the left and from the right. And see, sees his opportunity to fulfill his promise like never before. You shall be as gods. Now, I have to say that people who think like this have always been around. Men like, say, Stalin and Hitler, they acted as if they were God, and I suppose they believed that they were God in their own minds. But you see, the difference is, these were individual dictators, with a following for sure. But today's problem and today's difficulty is that an entire generation of citizens, an entire generation of citizens, are threatening the stability of the world and the security of Christian people, all because of this promise, whether they know it's in the Bible or not, Satan is playing on the minds and dictating to them, you can be as God. He's on a crusade to convince individuals and governments that they are gods over three particular areas of our existence. Number one, human life. Number two, the universe. And number three, gender. And Satan began practicing for this long, long ago. Frequently using people who were high in the pecking order of divine things. For example, you remember the story of Aaron at Mount Sinai, fashioning that golden cow. He taught idolatry to himself and to the children of Israel without realizing what he was doing. He deluded himself. And he deluded the children of Israel, telling them, as he fashioned and molded this golden calf, this is not what you think it is. This is not idolatry. Exodus 32. 
These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of Egypt. It's not what you think it is. This isn't a god. But it was a god. This is the man who just heard his brother echoing the words of Almighty God, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. But he tried to persuade them that what they were seeing wasn't really what they were seeing at all. Moving on in the calendar, I say, observed religious leaders of his time turning God's moral code completely upside down. They took evil and they said to the people, this is good. They took good and they said to the people, this is evil. They pointed to the light and they said, that's darkness. They pointed to the darkness and they said, that's light. What you're seeing it's not really real at all. It's what we say it is. Today, Satan is taking advantage of the lack of leadership in the Christian church and in Western governments. There's no serious challenge to his agenda as far as I can see. So let's consider these three topics over which men consider themselves now to be God. And I must apologize at the beginning. I'm only going to deal with this briefly because time won't allow anything else. The first is human life. Now, those of you who are perhaps uh, under the age of 30 may not know who David Steele was. But David Steele was the politician, the United Kingdom politician, who introduced and imposed the Abortion Act on our nation. Now I just wonder, did that man ever imagine the floodgates of evil he opened in 1967? Hundreds of thousands of abortions have been performed in Scotland alone from 1968 to this present time. Now, there's endless reasons, my friends, why these statistics are a disgrace, why they should make us blush as a nation, because each baby killed was a human being. But here's the outworking of Satan's promise. You shall be as God. Those Requesting abortion, those performing abortion, they take it on themselves to end human life. That is a prerogative that belongs to God and to God alone. So they evidently believe that they possess the power and the authority and the right to end someone else's life even if it is a baby in the womb. And furthermore, they call it a human right. They call it their personal liberty to do so. They even say to others, 
This is necessary for my happiness. Ah, oh, what a price for happiness, my friends. Meanwhile, Satan, with his influence and power, has persuaded, if we remain with the United Kingdom, he has persuaded our nation, and I am including in that you and me. He has persuaded us to ignore it. He has persuaded us not to think about how this is actually done. He has persuaded us in the scheme of things, this is not really important for us. Isn't that true? Isn't that the only way you can sleep at night? Because you don't think about this disgraceful statistic in our midst as a nation? For over 70 years, the world considered 6 million Jews killed by Hitler to be a heinous crime. Yet the global statistics on abortion vastly outnumber that figure. Do you want to know what it is? In present times, 73 million babies have died by abortion. 73 million. But that's the outcome, my friends, when people believe they are God. When people believe they possess the prerogative of God in ending a human life. Meanwhile, the second area of success for Satan, aspects of the universe and the environment. Now, unlike the topic of abortion, which is hidden from us, we are seldom given details on any of this, seldom even given us that you have to dig deep to get the full statistics. All that is hidden from us. But this area is not hidden from us. In fact, this is shoved into our face, rammed down our throat every single day. Scientists, environmentalists, they have taken Satan at his word. You shall be as gods. They really do believe, my friends, that the future of planet Earth lies in their hands. They believe that they have the wherewithal to control the elements of nature. They believe they possess the power and the authority and the scientific knowledge to fix any issue of the environment, to control ocean levels, to purify the air that you breathe, even to prevent the collapse of our universe. It's in their hands because they believe they are gods. In their deluded minds, they make divine claims, such as declaring how and when and why the world will end. Not by divine judgment, but by our pollution. And Satan has made all of this the religion 
of our progressive society. Where God is science, falsely so called, as the Bible puts it. The gospel message is to create a pollution free world. Their pulpits, schools, universities, and the mainstream media. And their style of preaching is to lie and to deceive and to cheat and to mislead. It's nothing, my friends, but the fulfilling of this promise. You shall be as gods. I want to move on to the third area of success for Satan, the subject of gender. Now, apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan has never been so bold, so arrogant, and so influential as seen in recent times. I'll have to say there's always been perverted behavior in the world. But this transgender philosophy is a serious threat, my friends, to global stability. And it seems to me to appear at an over. It's just suddenly in our midst. It's everywhere, like a rash. <clears throat> and its power and influence over entire nations is quite frightening, I believe that this could be only from the pit. This, my friends, is blatantly satanic. And it boasts of divine power. Persuaded men and women, boys and girls, that they have the ability to change who they are. A man can become a woman. A woman can become a man, a boy can become a girl, a girl can become a boy, either by simply insisting upon it or with the help of drugs and surgery. Meanwhile, our insane world is beginning to insist more and more that we must use whatever pronoun these individuals prefer. So let's be clear what's happening here. Any individual this the philosophy of this uh, transgender uh, view. Any individual can insist that they can change their biological sex by dint of self-effort. And if that individual is born male or female, they can identify as either if they choose. God doesn't determine who or what you are. You do that yourself. Because Satan has promised you. You are your own God. And if, anything, if there's anything more frightening than this, it's that the government and medical professionals and organizations like the BBC promote this progressive evolutionary advance at every turn. But in the midst of it all, is the judgment of the true and living God. Listen to these words from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So there stands our generation. 
the biological evidence and through identity of male and female there before their eyes. And yet they insist, like Aaron with a golden calf, it's not real. You're not really a boy, or you're not really a girl, you're not really a man, you're not really a woman at all. These are social constructs. It's your parents that decided and persuaded you that you were born male or female. Meanwhile, you can decide otherwise. Despite any biological evidence, it's a matter of personal choice because you're your own God. My friends, it's nothing short of insanity. And only the evil hand of Satan could have brought this about. You know that recently, in the United States of America, transgender people, as these, some of these people are known, were told that the president, Joe Biden, was right behind them. In fact, he issued a statement and said in that statement, transgenderism is the future for the United States of America. Here's why this satanic promise, my friends, has suddenly become a threat to world civilization. And as with every aspect of sin, the only real challenge to modern day gender philosophy is, as always, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that gospel message, men and women and boys and girls can find what Satan hates the most, apart from people, truth. He hates the truth. Remember that text from John chapter 1. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace to save us from our sins and truth to help us to live to God's glory. Now, that's what Jesus had in mind when he declared later on in his ministry, John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, if truth makes you free, then lies and deceit must do the opposite. So any male pretending to be female or vice versa, they're deceiving themselves. They're imprisoning their own minds. And they are, of course, grievously offending the God who determined the gender in the first place. Yet let me close with this. There is hope for all such people. Hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read earlier on, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in that chapter, I'm sure you noticed that Paul gave a list of the most obnoxious sins in his day. And many of them were known in the city of Corinth and sadly some of them in the church at Corinth. We read, such were some of you. He gives a list of the sins and then says, such were some of you. But then he brought in the gospel. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the hope for every sinner, even for those to see, deceived by Satan in whatsoever way. Now, it's impossible to know what the outcome of our present predicament is going to be, but it is not impossible to know what the answer is. Only an outpouring of gospel power can turn this madness around. Make that, my friends, your most urgent prayer in these difficult days in which we live, because we believe in the God of the impossible. Let's pray. We thank thee, O gracious Lord, for thy word, that we can turn to this word in the darkest of times, in the most difficult of trials and tribulations. And we need the refuge of that word and the refuge of that truth as we struggle to see light in the darkness prevailing in our present generation. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. O Jesus Christ, come and come quickly amongst us. Pour out thy spirit upon us. Revive and quicken us that we may know something of the power that our forefathers knew that affected the church and the nation alike. Humble us under thy mighty hand and the glory shall be thine in Christ. Amen.